In March of 1898, the British uh, railway was started between Uganda and Kenya. And there was a major obstacle in building this uh, railway system. It was building the railway over the Savo River in Kenya. It was a nine-month work. It wasn't supposed to take that long. And it consisted of Africans, uh, British, Indians, working together to build this railway bridge. And what happened is they were stationed in kind of uh, a, a tent area because it was pretty remote uh, to build this bridge. And over that nine-month period, the men that worked on this bridge were attacked by two lions that stalked the camp. Fences were erected, they tried different things, but there were nightly attacks. Workers were dragged off in the middle of the night. In fact, the assistant foreman was killed, and the foreman had four large lacerations down his back from a lion attack. During the construction over nine months, British officials accounted 135 victims to these two lions. Imagine, imagine being one of those workers on the Savo Bridge Project. Imagine sleeping at night thinking maybe a lion might come for you. Today, we are going to see that the Lord compares himself to a lion. It's not cuddly. Not cuddly, no. No, we see one that is going after Israel. However, from this vivid picture of destruction, we see one of the most powerful verses of rescue and return. Today, we are going to see in destruction that God can revive us and bring a refreshing to our faith. Let's look together, shall we? This is, this is I, I, can I have favorite verses? I guess this is probably one of my favorite passages in all of Hosea. It's really good. So if you're going to pay attention to anything, just pay attention to the word, okay? I guess that's probably the most important thing to pay attention to. So let's look at it together. Hosea chapter 5 and then to 6. When Ephraim saw his sickness and Judah his wound, and Ephraim went to Assyria and sent to the great king. But he is not able to cure you or heal your wound. For I will be like a lion to Ephraim. And like a young lion to the house of Judah, I, even I, will tear and go away. I will carry off, and no one shall rescue. I will return again to my place until they acknowledge their guilt and seek my face, and in their distress earnestly seek me. Come, let us return to the Lord. For he has torn us, that he may heal us. He has struck us down, and he will bind us up. After two days he will revive us, and on the third day he will raise us up, that we may live before him. Let us know, 
Let us press on to know the Lord. His going out is as sure as the dawn. He will come to us as the showers, as the spring rains that water the earth. God's word is a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. Just joining us, welcome. We're going through the book of Hosea this fall until Advent season. And it's a book that is very poetic, that is communicating a very large analogy to explain to us the relationship between God and Israel, between us and the Lord. And the large analogy is that God and his people are not in a good place. <laughs> that we see that the people of Israel have become adulterous. They have walked away from God to other gods. We actually see the prophet Hosea lives this out himself. We see that God has committed him to marry an unfaithful woman. And then we see that he has kids by her. And we don't know if some of the kids are not even his own children. And she leaves again. And God calls him to pursue her again. And we see this is the large analogy of what's happening with Israel and the Lord. Israel has run after other lovers. He's run after other nations. I should say she or he. She is usually how Israel is referred. We see here in this passage that Israel, Ephraim is also how it's known, runs after this nation, Assyria. And we see that these lovers do not satisfy. But God continues to try to woo them. He brings judgments against them. He's trying to bring Israel back. But as we see, it's inevitable destruction. In 722 BC, Israel will be destroyed by Assyria. Now, God also uses these other analogies and poetic structures throughout the book of Hosea. Not just the adulterous relationship. And one he uses here is that he is a lion. And this word for tearing, in the Hebrew, we could even translate it mauling. This is a mauling of Israel. A mauling so bad that none will rescue, that they will be carried away. Again, this isn't really the cuddly picture of God maybe you wanted this morning, right? Maybe you think of God as buddy Jesus. You're just rolling down the windows of the car, cruising down, listening to music. That's God and me. But here the Lord for 200 years has been after Israel. And they've continued to pursue other gods. And we see the results of their paths of pursuing other gods, of going after other things, has led to coups, six different kings in 30 years, the worship of wooden gods, temple prostitution, the breakdowns of families. All of these things are happening because of Israel's wandering. Really, a mauling has already begun. There's already become a consequence of their sin. 
And the great irony of the book Hosea and many of the prophets is that the nation does not see it. They don't see what they are doing and how it is leading them down a path that they should not go. I really think we live in an interesting time. Something just seems off. Something seems like it's just not good. Sometimes I find it hard to put my finger on what exactly it is. Because the truth is, it doesn't feel like it's like that bad, right? When I think things are bad, I go to dystopian movies, right? Like, if it was really that bad, there would be zombies after us, right? If it was really that bad, the moon would be crashing into earth. That's a new one, right? Is there one, like, moon landing or something like that? Like, dystopian stuff is all over the place right now. But I don't feel like I'm living in 1984, George Orwell, or anything like that. So, I'm wondering, what am I living in? What are we living in? Seriously, the stats are like this. You know that crime has gone down over the past 30 years? There's less teen pregnancies, less drunk driving, there's more wealth and employment. So how is it that bad? I mentioned this earlier, a book I've been reading by Ross Douthat, who's a writer for the New York Times. He writes a book called The Decadent Society. Yeah, this isn't just some Christian critique. Here is a, a social thinker in our culture. And he says this in his book, Without critics, without resistance, this drift can carry things a long way without anyone fully noticing how far. True dystopias are distinguished in part by the fact that many people inside them don't realize that they are living in one. Because human beings are adaptable enough to take even absurd and inhuman premises for granted. How many of us, when we read the prophets or read Hosea, we might scream while we're reading it, Israel, wake up! Do you see what's coming? Listen to the prophet! And Israel says, oh, it's, it's not that bad. Duthot goes on and says this. You know, a time traveler from the past, say you spend an hour with us. An hour on our porn sites. Or an evening watching cable news. Or a day in an opiate clinic. Or maybe time in the tent cities of our major metropolitan areas. They might report back to the future that the future is simply dystopian. Full stop. How many of us are willing to see that God is tearing us? He's mauling us. That our affluence is blinding us to the suffer, suffering of so many in our own country. That our desire for pleasure is numbing us to the point of taking things to just numb our pain. 
Or our desire for pleasure many times is leading us isolated watching television. That the church's desire for success is leaving awake within our institution of the church. Where pastors are just running over people for their own glory. I'm just going to be honest. It is, it is hard to find anyone in the past few years that have not experienced broken relationships. Children walking away from the faith. Anxiety that is paralyzing people. Could all of this mauling, could of all of this tearing, being trying to show us that the things that we run after will not satisfy us? Then we get these verses. Chapter 6, 1 through 3. It's so beautiful. They're flanked by all this judgment. And then you get these three verses that are within many chapters where you see hope. A beautiful hope. You see that Hosea, God speaking through Hosea, is trying to get a remnant to be reconciled, to return Fifteen times the word return is used in Hosea. The idea of repentance, of turning, of reconciliation. And what it's trying to do is that in this little three verses, trying to speak to Hosea, to speak to Israel, speak to Judah, return, come back. There is hope. And you see in verse 1, it borrows from this imagery of the line we saw just earlier. Come, let us return to the Lord, for he has torn us, he has mauled us, so that he may heal us. I don't know about you, but I find that verse very interesting. Why would I want to return to someone that just mauled me? That just tore me? Right, this is not the only analogy of God being a lion, right? Where's my, you know, Chronicles of Narnia people, right? You know, like, yeah. Aslan's the lion, right? I see C.S. Lewis's picture of God. And you see that Susan asked the beaver, Oh, is, is Aslan safe? And you see the beaver says to Susan, He's not safe, but he is good. We were reading The Voyage of the Dawn Treader this summer as a family. I've used this analogy before, but remember in that book, Eustace, this boy that's just horrible. He, his, his horribleness turns him into a dragon, right? And he tries and tries to take this stuff off. And you see that he interacts with this lion, Aslan. Here it is from the book. Aslan says, you will have to let me do it. Take off these scales. And Eustace says, I was afraid of his claws, I can tell you. But I was pretty nearly desperate, desperate now. 
So I just lay flat down on my back to let him do it. The very first tear he made was so deep that I thought it had gone right into my heart. And when he began pulling the skin off, it hurt worse than anything I've ever felt. Well, he peeled the beastly stuff right off. Then he caught hold of me. I didn't like that much, for I was very tender underneath, now that I had no skin on. And he threw me into the water. It smarted like anything, but only for a moment. And after that, it became perfectly delicious. And as soon as I started swimming and splashing, I found that all the pain had gone. I turned into a boy again. Come, let us return to the Lord, for he has torn us that he may heal us. He has struck us down, and he will bind us up. Are you willing to admit that the mauling has happened? That maybe your bitterness, maybe your unrelenting desire to make money, maybe your trying to control your household that just makes you an angry person. Maybe the anxiety at night that keeps you up, that God is after you, tearing you, that he might heal you. Well, it goes further. It's, it's not just healing and binding, but we see here in verse 2, after two days, he will revive us. On the third day, he will raise us up that we may live before him. You have to remember, again, it's total destruction of Israel when Assyria comes. And Assyria was ruthless carrying off people, desolating the land. That is the destruction that has happened to Israel. And you see there's kind of echoes in verse 2 of Jonah. Jonah being in the whale in the darkest place. And then after three days, he spit out. Even echoes of Ezekiel, the valley of dry bones. The idea that God brings life to death. And of course, this passage is quoted by Paul in 1 Corinthians 15, that after three days, Christ rose again. This is resurrection language. That's what be is being used here. My freshman year, my university staff worker convinced me that I should come to an intervarsity fall retreat, right? Does, does Adam do that to you guys? Yeah, he tries to convince you to come. And I'm busy, right? Like, it's freshman year. It's crazy. I don't want to go to a fall retreat, right? And I, but I'm like, okay, maybe I should hear some self-help tips of Christianity, right? I'll go to this dang intervarsity retreat. And I'm at school on the East Coast. Man, a lot of ambitious striving college students. And here, this InterVarsity staff worker, probably the only thing I remember of the talk, he has this really large fish 
And he holds it up. It's totally dead. Just holds it up, this dead fish. And he says, there's no resuscitation here. There's no bringing this fish back by just putting things back in place. No, it's dead. This fish to come back would need full resurrection. Israel, there is no getting your act together. There is no finding another nation. There is no other thing that can help you. No wooden idol. No, to be put back, you need resurrection that can only come from God alone. Some of you might be here today, you think Christianity is just getting your life together. You better get souped up to be here. You better follow this plan, or tweak this, or do that, or be part of one of our community groups, and we'll get you right and back out into society, right? That is a helpless proposition. Do you know what good news there is in the anxious age? We need his life in us. The mauling has torn us away. There is no going back. That we need to live before him to be revived. Hear me, this is the good news of the gospel. That Christ was mauled. That he was torn. That in three days he would rise again so that we might be united with him and have life. That we would be connected with him. That is the good news. It goes on. Let us know. Let us press on to know the Lord. His going out is as sure as the dawn. He will come to us as the showers, as the spring rains that water the earth. After resurrection life, how is Israel and Judah to live in this reality, the chaos that is around them? Here we have two different words for the, for the, in the Hebrew for no. It's translated no in English. But it's two different words in Hebrew. The first one, let us know, there, is getting our attention. It's wake up and see. But the second use of no is the no that we've talked about quite a bit in Hosea. That's not just cognitive knowledge, but instead it's relational intimacy. It's the idea of knowing God personally. And here it's mixed with the verb of press on, that we would press on to know him. We would have this ongoing, going after the Lord to know him. Pressing on. You see, for Israel, in the midst of the doubt and the things that are going around them and all the pain and suffering, they might have wondered, is God good? Is it worth it to know him? 
And that's why he uses uh, these illustrations, these images of assurance. That he is as sure as the sun is to rise. He is sure as it is supposed to rain in the spring. And for us, that might sound really good, but even for the Israelites, it sounded even better. Do you know why? Because the gods that they ran after, the Baals, Baal was a god of the weather. And they ran after Baal for, you know, things to go well when it came to rain or to sunshine and their crops. And here, God is using the imagery of the gods that they're after to talk about who he is. He's saying, I am sure, I am above all things, I am the creator of all of these things. The striving with idols, the striving with sacrifices that you're doing, the temple prostitution. These things are not what will bring you hope in life. Instead, what is to bring life is knowing me. Verse 6, we didn't read it here. For I desire steadfast love and not sacrifice. The knowledge of God rather than burnt offerings. He desires us to just be in relationship with him. To know him. Every summer, our family puts together a summer playlist. And the summer playlist is music that we've heard during the year. And we don't try to overplay it during the year. We put it on the playlist to play when we go to the cabin. So it's our jam, right, for the summer. Aaron and I are going to admit something to you right now. Please don't judge us. We don't put Christian music on our summer playlist. And part of the reason that we've done this, and this is our own baggage, our own wounds, is that Aaron and I grew up in Christian subculture and grew up listening to Christian music. We knew a lot about God, but we didn't know him. We lived in this osmosis of faith where you're just around all these Christians and it will be okay. It's a lot of pain in that past. And a lot of times that Christian music brings up that pain. And here's the thing. Um, in the summertime, I try to work through things. I, if you know this, but I'm a professional Christian, right? I'm getting paid to do this thing. That's a little weird. Where I can know a lot about God, but do I know him? In our summers, especially our weeks at the cabin, are times for me to press on. To press on to know him, that he is faithful and that he is good. And many times I doubt that. 
And I need that time to come back to you that your pastor isn't doing this for work, but he's doing it because he actually loves Jesus. Well, a few summers ago, I realized my girls know the lyrics to Lizzo and Dave Matthews Band and U2 better than Christian music. And God pressed me and said, maybe, maybe this wound you don't have to carry on to your girls of Christian music. I said, okay, I'll try this thing. So went to the Gospel Coalition website, and they gave these Christian musicians, right? And one of them was Jess Ray. And uh, I said, okay, I'll pick the number one song, right, on Spotify for all these musicians, right? And we'll try this. So I was at the cabin, and, um, you know, we go into town every few days, And I'm driving with Ellie, my oldest. And I turn on this song, this runaway song. And I'm just, I'm crying. I know some of you guys think, oh, he cries all the time. Trust me, I don't cry all the time, especially around my family. Okay? Okay? I'm just, I'm crying. And I look over to my daughter, and she's crying too. For my daughter to know, to know that I know the Lord. For her to know this isn't some game or some subculture. For her to know that the Lord is after me. That trust me, that song of beating my hands against his chest, of running against him, being upset and angry. That's me at times. And he is after me. And he loves me. To press on to know the Lord. What healing? Healing for something trite like Christian music, right? I know some of you guys, I'm not bashing Christian music, okay? Hear me. But I'm just saying the Lord could use that. Some of you have church hurt. I know that. Past experiences... This crazy political age that we live in. Maybe you feel inoculated to Christianity because you've been in this Christian bubble for so long. And it's clouded you from knowing him. You wonder his faithfulness in a world gone mad. And here is the Lord saying, press on, press on to know me. I hope you take the word and what it says there that you trust that. I hope you would take my experience 
know this, God is faithful. He will show up in moments that will be so overwhelming, you will not know how to contain your love for him. That is the God we serve. That is a good God. Return to him. He will bind you up. He will heal your wounds. He will revive you. And he is as faithful as the spring rain.